been a long time since I've preached a Father's Day sermon. You go, you go, oh, yeah, last year. No, no, it's probably been 10 years. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Would you stand with me? We're going to read three verses from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Read together. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your presence and Your power. I pray that You would use what is said today, what is done today, to bring about changes in our lives, to bring about breakthroughs in our lives, to bring about healing, grace, to bring about whatever you want to do, Father. And, but Lord, we know that apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing happens. And so we entreat the Holy Spirit to do his wonderful work in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What? does the Holy Spirit have to do with Father's Day? Well, we just read <laughs> something about that. <clears throat> and, and also, this is really a perfect bridge for where I'm going with the series because I've been doing a, little, a short series on praying in the Holy Spirit. And I'm getting ready to do a series on the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's both things are connected here because when the Holy Spirit inside of us causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, and that's not telling him what our favorite old music group is. That, that, word, that word Abba is, literally means daddy. Dada is, is, is literally what it means. When he causes that to come up inside of us, that's a prayer. It's probably the oldest prayer that's ever been prayed. But it's also the work of the Spirit because it's not easy to get us to the uh, sinful, wicked, shameful us to the place where we can look to God and say, Daddy. That's not an easy thing. That, that requires the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's a bridge in that way. Why is Father's Day so hard when Mother's Day is so easy? You know, I, I said that I, I haven't uh, preached a Father's Day sermon probably in... I don't really remember the last one I did. Well, I, I, rem, I don't remember when it was. I know it was in the old sanctuary. And this is our eighth Father's Day in this one. And all I remember was that after it, you know, I, I just had people from both sides come to me going, why did you do that? You know, you know why, why are you trying to make us feel so bad? I'm not trying to make you... I, I thought it was... I just, just preached the Bible. thought I was doing something good here. But Mother's Day, for crying out loud, I mean, who doesn't love Mother? I, and there are some rare exceptions, but by and large, that uh, maternal instinct kicks in, and it doesn't matter, you know, how... How rough and gruff and, and, and mean and ugly you get, mom still has that special place in, in your heart. I mean, she just, she just does. And so Mother's Day, we just gush and everything. 
And then Father's Day comes along, and it's a different animal. It's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit different story when you, when you get there. Fathers are often absent. Mothers can be too, but that's far more rare. Fathers can be abusive. Mothers can be too, but that's far more rare. And if your father fits one of those categories, a couple of things just, just kind of throw out here very quickly. One, remember, he was, he was just a human being, was, is, just a human being, fighting with his own set of demons. Not making excuses, just stating a fact. And also that, that great wall that seems to be present oftentimes between fathers and their children is usually one constructed out of guilt and a sense of failure and a sense of shame. And it's not so much a matter of, oh, I don't want to talk to you, it's believe it or not, you know, I don't know if I'm, if I'm worthy to. Because being a dad isn't an easy thing. Yeah, the last 10 years or so of my dad's life, were, I really thank God for them because uh, there never was a time in my life, as far as I know, when I thought, I hate my dad, you know, except for, you know, 30 seconds here and 30 seconds there, and I think we've all had those. But there never was a time in my life when I really thought that, but I can promise you I didn't understand him. And the reason why I didn't understand him in large part was because I went, he doesn't, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't know. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt this way, but I felt like my dad doesn't know who I am and isn't really making that much of an effort to know who I am. Dad gummit. That's why they put dad on the front of dad gummit. <laughs> yeah, I just made that up. Anyway. <laughs> but the last 10 years... Yeah, you know, he was taking care, he was in his 80s, obviously, he died at 92. He was taking care of my mom for a lot of those years, the last, I guess, four years, uh, three and a half years. It was just him. And I, and I got to know him a lot better, but got to understand him. We got to have some conversations that not everybody gets to have. And, you know, quite honestly, it wasn't always easy because he never turned the television off when I came over. And so, you know, those conversations had to take place, you know, in between TBN and episodes of Bonanza, you know, going on at the time. Get turned down just a little bit. But I remember, I think the best moment I can remember having with my dad. Uh, Mom had passed away. And I don't know, I guess he had just been thinking about stuff. And he said, and you know what? I think the TV must have been off on this one. Amazing what that can do. But uh, I was over visiting him one afternoon, and he said, you know, I see, I see you and Isaac and, and y'all's family. And you have to understand Isaac, the guy who was up here at communion time, for those who don't know, Isaac is, uh, has always been a, a kisser and a lover. I mean, from the time he was a little boy, he couldn't leave the room without kissing you goodbye. And I'm not talking about leave the house. I mean leave the room. Be back in a minute. And uh, 
And that really didn't change when he became a teenager, guys. He did it all the way through until now. And uh, my dad said, you know, I, see, uh, let me back up just a second. My dad was born in 1916. His dad passed away in 1920 in the influenza epidemic. And so he really never had a dad. His mom never remarried. He was the next to the youngest of six kids, and, and the youngest one uh, died in, in uh, childhood. But he never really had a dad, came up in a rough time, didn't really, never saw an example, didn't know how to express love and affection i don't know if anybody else's dad fits that description but uh just didn't know in fact i remember uh he was in the hospital one time for i don't know probably 10 days or so uh, and he came home and <laughs> mom had been at the house the whole time somebody was sitting with her and when my dad when i brought my dad home from the hospital he comes in the door and my dad and my mom looks and goes well there you are and, and my dad goes, yeah, we love you. And I thought, boy, now this is a gush of affection like I've never seen between my parents before. I, that was just, that was the culture. That was the time that they were brought up in. And my dad said, uh, you know, I see you and I see Isaac and I see y'all's family and I see the way that, that y'all uh, interact with each other. I don't think he used that word, but he, it's what he meant. And, uh, and then he began to tear up and he said, and, and, I, and I think, I could have had that. Mm. Mm. Oh, whoa. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, <laughs> it's hard for dads sometimes. It's hard for them to, to express how they feel. And also fathers are the ones from whom we seek approval the most let me tell you a secret that you already know your mama loves you it doesn't matter what you do where you go what what happens you're, you you got her in your pocket she loves you and you know that but your dad's another story oftentimes and because he is you know, that's who we want to hear it from the very most. My, my, my dad, I, I can't ever really remember my dad telling me, I'm proud of you. I, I can't ever remember him doing that because that just wasn't his way. If he wanted to tell me that I did something well or good, as he would say, what, what he, what he, his way of doing it was to tell me, uh, Bob Smith said he thought you did really good in that ball game. <laughs> I see some other people have heard that before. And then he would quickly follow it up with, but don't you get the big hit? You know. <laughs> Paul Simon, uh, songwriter, musician. Y'all know who Paul Simon is, right? Young, young people, shake your head. Let me tell me you know who Paul Simon is. Okay. Uh, I heard an interview with him, I don't know, five or six years ago, and it struck me because so hard because he was talking about his dad. And, and at this point, Paul was at least in his 50s. And so the man's a multimillionaire. He's world-renowned. He's got awards by the scuds, whatever a scud is. And he's... <laughs> I, I was doing Harvey on you there. That was, uh, 
that's my dad. Uh, but he's got all these awards and everything, and, uh, and, and he's talking about his dad, and he, he talked about apparently within like a year or two of that, of that interview, going to his dad and saying, hey, look, what, what do you think? Have I, have I done okay? Have, do you think I've, I've been a good son? I've been successful. What do you think? Yeah. Because for all that stuff, that's who he needed to hear it from. Okay. Uh, here's where it gets a little weird. Uh, last, uh, while, while, we were on, while we were on sabbatical, I read several books. And one of the books that I read was a book called Ball Four by Jim Bounton. And it's, it's an old book. came out in the 1970s. And when it came out, it, was a, it, was, it, it caused a hullabaloo, if you will, and a stir in the baseball world. And I had never read it, but I'd always heard about it. And I thought, well, okay, I've got some time. I'm going to read this book now. And uh, so I got the book. And I was reading it. And it was, it was pretty good. I mean, you know, it was the first tell-all of baseball. It was the first book to, to rip back the curtain and let everyone see behind, behind the veil into the inner workings of Major League Baseball. And, and a lot of people were embarrassed by it. A lot of people were mad by it and the whole thing. And, uh, uh, but nowadays, it would be very tame. And it, it was nice. I mean, you know, I'm sure it was a lot funnier 30 years ago than it is now, but I enjoyed reading it. But I found out that after there were three extra chapters there was one called ball five which was 10 years later and that was very interesting because he was kind of bringing up to date on what had happened and the players and what had happened in their lives and stuff like that and uh and then and then there was ball six which was 20 years later and this began to really reveal this man and open up his life and in a really deep way that began to kind of touch you because during that 10 years he'd gotten a divorce uh, from his wife of many years that I mean, it was it was anyway you'd have to read it and uh, and and they had three kids and he and he met this other woman and he had remarried and stuff like that and then ball seven came along 30 years after and that one just wiped me out uh, in fact what I'm gonna read to y'all I've, I've probably read five or six times, and that's why I'm going to be able to get through it. Because the first two or three times, I Alan Smithed it all the way through. I just, and the, you know, just, just tears coming, coming down the whole time. And, and that's not, I don't cry. I'm not a crier. And, uh, but I certainly did with it. Let me give you, uh, and this is, and when I read it, actually I read it, I finished it on a Sunday morning, and I read part of it to Margaret, or tried to. And, uh. And I thought, wow, this is really something I need to share on Father's Day. And then over the next month, I really got cold feet and kind of went, you can't get up there and read a book to people on Father's Day for 15 minutes for crying. It's not even the Bible. And, uh, and then this week, the Holy Ghost went, I want you to read that. So for about the next 15 minutes, you're going to hear some of Ball 7. But let me give you a little background here. Uh, he starts out the introduction of his book mentioning Old Timer's Day. Now, for some of us, Old Timer's Day is every day. <laughs> but what he's referencing is he's referencing an event that the Yankees do every year at Yankee Stadium, and they call back a bunch of the old players, and they, they have like a three-inning game, but it's, it's just fun, really. They just, they just have a big time together. And he mentions the fact that at Old Timer's Day... Uh, 
all sins are forgiven. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter, you know, how you can be convicted of a string of felonies this long. They're going to invite you back to old timers day, but not if you wrote ball four. And uh, so anyway, I, he, he mentions that in, in the introduction to the book. And then I think the only other thing you need to know is, like I say, well, he had three children, uh, Michael, David, and Lori. Uh, his first wife was named Bobby. His second wife was named Paula. And I think that'll kind of catch you up. So, indulge me. August 15th, 1997. We had been out to eat, and when we came home, we just stepped inside the door. Hadn't even taken the messages off of the the answering machine which was blinking when the phone rang. Paula picked it up and it was Lee. That's, that's her son, his second wife's son. Oh no, I heard her say. Oh my God. Oh my God. A jolt of terror shot through my body. I'd never heard Paula sound like that before. I just hoped it wasn't one of the kids. What is it? I said, my heart hammering. Who? Lori's been in a terrible accident, said Paula, who was shaking now and gasping for breath. How bad, I moaned, terrified at the answer. Very bad, said Paula, still on the phone trying to learn more. Is she dead, I heard myself say, not believing I was saying it. No, but it's very bad. I fell on my knees and vomited. Because neither of them were in condition to drive, they actually called a driving service that took them on the four-hour trip to the hospital. It was the longest ride of our lives. We each held each other and cried and talked. David had said Lori was in a coma and would probably never walk again. This was inconceivable for someone like Lori. The unsinkable Molly Brown, girl daredevil. daredevil. <clears throat> we knew they were doing everything possible to save her. Evidently, a helicopter had flown her to the hospital from the crash scene. We called the hospital during a pit stop. The news was not any better. Just get there as quickly as possible. The accident had occurred about 7.30 that night. We wouldn't be there until 3 in the morning. I didn't want her to go without me being there. If she was still alive, I'd want to hold her hand and try to comfort her. But I didn't want that to be my last memory of her either. We numbed ourselves against the possibilities. The full moon followed us all the way. It's only been recently that I can even look at a full moon. University Hospital has about a dozen entrances. David said that we should go around to the back, but we didn't know where that was, and we didn't have time to drive around, so close and yet so far. Then we saw Michael in the distance waving at our black sedan, probably waving at any black cars that came along. The three of us hugged on the run, and Michael led the way through a series of hallways, walking fast toward the intensive care unit. Lori was still alive, Michael said, but in a coma, hooked up to monitors. He and David and Bobby had been taking turns holding her hand. Michael said he had been singing songs to Lori, nonsense songs with funny rhymes that they had sung together as children. He said the only reason, reaction was a, was a few blips on one of the machines, but he believed she could hear him. Michael had told her I was coming and would be there soon. I pictured Lori lying there. I wanted to see her, yet I couldn't stand the thought I had a flash memory of her as a little girl in a wet bathing suit returning from lunch to a fenced-in swimming pool with halves of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in each hand. Rather than walk around the gate 
which would have taken all of 20 seconds, she chose to climb the chain link fence using no hands, just elbows, feet, and knees, so as not to drop her sandwiches. <laughs> that was funny enough, but the best part came when she was halfway over, teetering on the balance point, two elbows and a foot straddling the metal pipe, and suddenly discovered a sandwich half directly in front of her face. Not one to waste an opportunity, Lori took a bite and proceeded over the fence. <laughs> the double doors of the intensive care unit were just ahead. Through the glass window, I could see the distraught faces of Lee and Elaine. Elaine was Lee's wife. Someone from the hospital pushed open the doors, and we entered the main room. He's here, I heard someone say. The room was crowded with mixed family members and friends. The last time I had seen this group together, ironically, was at Lori's graduation from college. It was eerily silent except for the beeping of machines. Half the faces turned to us and the rest stayed riveted to a smaller room off to our right. But before I could even glance in that direction, I heard the words that ripped my heart out. She's gone. It was Bobby, face streaked with tears emerging from the small room. The group of family and friends exploded in a deluge of cries and wails. I rushed over to hug Bobby and hold her close. This was our little girl, the only, and only we could share that particular pain. And Paula and Phil moved in quickly to hold us both, and the others followed suit, forming a huddle of devastated souls. She waited for you, Jim, everyone said. She waited for you, and I believe she did. Her incredible spirit lived nearly eight hours in a body with no visible organs, according to the surgeons who later declined our offer to donate them. What's more, Lori chose the precise moment, the very split second, that would have made it easier on me. I'm sure it's been difficult to read this, but I thought you should know. If you've come this far, 30 years worth, you're practically family. The only person who would enjoy reading this is Lori. You best be writing something good about me, Dad. I meant to put her picture up. That's her, That's her picture. You best be writing something good about me, <clears throat> Dad, I can hear her say, chin jutting from side to side in that Jersey girl way of speaking she shared with her friends. And her friends were legion because she was loyal and caring and extraordinary fun to be around. Lori would also want you to know that the accident wasn't her fault. She was the only innocent party and the only fatality in a multi-vehicle collision on, on, <coughs> on a New Jersey highway. The police report said she braked to a complete stop a few feet from an accident that had just occurred over the crest of the hill and was hit from behind by another driver who didn't even touch the brakes. The unsinkable Molly Brown never had a chance. Then he goes on to talk about the days intervening for a while. And, and then he hits a, a portion where he's talking about Mickey Mantle and Mickey's son. Mick, Mickey... Uh, in particular, was one of the lightning rods in this book because he was so famous. And, you know, when it was revealed, hey, you know, this guy drinks a lot and runs around a lot and acts like a little boy a lot, uh, a lot of people were acting outraged about it. But Mickey, Mickey's youngest son was named Billy. Billy had Hodgkin's disease, but he died at uh, the age of 36 of a heart attack. And anyway, this is the little section about that. This is all going to tie together. Back in 1994, when Mickey Mantle's son died, and there's Jim and Mickey, and then this is, this is Mickey's son, both as a little boy and then later on. Back in 1994, when Mickey's 
son Billy died, I sent Mickey a brief note saying how bad I felt for him. I said I had a nice memory of Billy, a polite little boy running around the Yankee clubhouse during spring training. I also said I hoped Mickey was feeling better about ball four, that I had never intended to hurt him. And then I looked back on my Yankee years as a great time in my life. I never expected to hear back from Mickey. I just wanted him to have the note. But about two weeks later, I walked into my office and my secretary was standing by the answering machine with an enigmatic smile on her face. She said there was a message I should play for myself. I punched the button. Jim, this is Mickey, said that familiar Oklahoma voice. I just got your letter about, you know, saying you're sorry about Billy, and, and I appreciate it. And I never was really hurt by your book. I, I think that's been exaggerated a lot. And I sure did, never told the Yankees that if you came to an old-timers game or something, I wasn't going to come. I heard that was out. Anyway, thanks for the letter, and everything's fine with me. Thanks a lot, bud. It was only later, after Lori died, that I fully understood why Mickey had called. It was because of the condolence note I had sent about Billy. When Lori died, I remembered how close I felt to anyone who called or dropped a note or stopped me on the street to express their sympathy, especially if they had a particular memory of Lori, a brief encounter, a story we hadn't heard that would add something to our experience of her and make her come alive again, if only for a moment. I was deeply grateful for any kind of word or gesture. The death of a child changes you in profound ways. It suddenly moves you to a new level of tolerance and empathy that I take for granted today. I, I'm no longer so quick to judge a sour face, an angry tone of voice, a slumped demeanor. Who knows what that person's story might be? Maybe it's worse than mine. They say it can make you a better person, but I don't know about that. I only know... If I could just have Lori back, I would happily return to my former rotten self. And then the thing that led me to this needs to be done on Father's Day. <clears throat> Sunday, June the 21st, 1998, the phone rang at 8 in the morning. I picked it up. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, David, I said. Did you see the Times, New York Times this morning? The Times, I said. No, we haven't been down to the general store yet. Well, there's something you have to read, he said. We'll get it later, I said. We just woke up. I think you should read it now, David insisted. We'll read it after breakfast, I said. Whatever it is can wait. No, it can't, he said. There was a pause. Okay, I'll read it to you myself. <laughs> Mystified, I motioned for Paula to pick up the other phone. It takes up half a page, said David. There's a, a big picture of you and Mickey Mantle and another smaller picture of you and Lori. I felt a familiar ache in my chest. The headline is, For Boughton, Let Bygones Be Bygones. This made no sense. I hadn't spoken to any reporters lately. Then there's a smaller headline, said David, who was having difficulty speaking. It says, David seemed to be choking back tears. It says, Son's wish on Father's Day is to see Dad and Yogi stand with old-timers. Son's Wish, by Michael Boughton, said David. Michael, when did he do this? The, the New York Times, I was too stunned to process it. Then David began to read his brother's letter over the phone, haltingly at times as follows. Today is Father's Day, but the date I have circled on my calendar 
is July the 25th. That is Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium. Traditionally, it is the day when past Yankee stars take their annual curtain call. It is the day my father, Jim Bouton, number 56, the Bulldog, is snubbed and not invited back. Although an invitation to attend Old Timers Day is an honor he can live without, it is what I wish for him this year. You see, this past August, my sister Lori died in an automobile crash at the age of 31. She was beautiful and sweet, and tough as it is to lose a sibling, I cannot even fathom the loss my parents must feel. Philosophers say it is because of tragedy that we give such importance to our games. Baseball seemingly has always been here for us. The key to baseball's future as America's pastime lies in its continuity between generations. I realize the big loss for Yankee fans and baseball continues to be the absence of Yogi Berra on Old Timers Day. Yogi has let it be known that he refuses to be a part of the celebration as long as George Steinbrenner is the owner. I have applauded Yogi's decision on this matter of principle, but recently I've had a change of heart and of mind. It's just as petty for Yogi to spite George as it is for George to spite my father. It does not serve the greater good for families. The fans are the sport we supposedly love so much. It does not factor in the human equation. I know that not having Old Timers Day on our calendar like a holiday gave us fewer days with Lori. I wonder if Yogi knows how important it is for his grandchildren to witness him out there under the classic facade of the stadium. There's no substitute for smelling the grass and hearing the cheers. It will be time for dusting off scrapbooks soon enough. For the fans, their children and grandchildren, the great difference between a regular game and old-timers day cannot be gauged. How many stories from their own lives are triggered by the sight of a player from the past, the type of story that places them in time, describing what they were doing on an afternoon when a special occasion occurred. It's been nearly 30 years since my father wrote Ball Four, and for all the hullabaloo about his book, the major detractors have all written their own tell-all books, affirming the validity of what they once called lies. Last year, on the occasion of its 100th anniversary, the New York Public Library listed Ball Four as one of the 100 most important books of the century. The question is this, why do the Yankees feel as if they still have to punish him? For years, the rumor was that Mickey Mantle had threatened not to attend Old Timers Day if my father was present. I think that the Mick was big enough to, I am thankful that the Mick was big enough to make what amounted to a deathbed call to my father to put that rumor to rest as being untrue. He understood the significance of the snub and wanted no part of it. So that leaves only George, who was not even the team owner when Ball Four came out in 1970. If George blames Ball Four for contributing toward free agency, one would expect a different reaction because everyone knows that it's only through the acquisition of free agents that the Steinbrenner reign has seen any championships at all. I can say amen to that. I'm hoping that a compromise on positions can take place without necessarily a compromise on principles. I mean, if George really hates my father that much, is it good for him to still hold it inside? Wouldn't it be more helpful to have my father there if only to boo him? George has said that this year he'll be turning over more of the day-to-day operations to his sons, Hal, Hank, and Harold. Might that be enough for Yogi to return to Yankee Stadium and still save face? I'm hoping to reach George's sons, 
Despite our different upbringings, I think we have a lot in common. It's, it's never easy growing up the child of a public figure. And, and I think I can say the child of anyone by what he's going to say here. Growing up the child of a public figure, I know they've heard mean things said about their father, much the same way I have. I think there have been days when they've been publicly embarrassed by him. And there have been times when they have been as proud as any child could ever be of a parent, exactly like me. I'm sure they love their father as much as I love mine. That is what Father's Day is about, celebrating that love. I see this as an opportunity to get my father some extra hugs at a time in his life when he can use all the hugs he can get. It is something he would never seek for himself. He's going to kill me when he reads this. And maybe the kind of thing only a son or daughter can do for their father. I'm not asking for any favors, just reconsideration. That is all. Life is short. Time is at hand. I couldn't believe it. What a Father's Day gift. What a beautiful letter. Did you know about this, David? I ask. No. Amazing. Not just Michael's writing or that he kept it a secret, but that he had all those feelings in the first place. I never knew that he cared that much about me not being invited to Old Timer's Day. The kids were little when I wrote Ball Four, and they grew up just accepting that their dad was some kind of pariah. The only one who ever said anything was Lori, who would get personally offended at the Yankees for a few days every summer, and then she'd let it go. Then he explains that he went on to call Michael. He was waiting by the phone. I could hear the smile on his, in his voice. What can I say, Michael? I stammered. It's just, just beautiful, powerful, a great surprise. Thank you. I wanted to write that letter for a long time, he said, but I could never finish it. This time I did. Well, I said, that's not something you just knock off in a few hours. I had a little help from Lori, too, said Michael. So do you think the Yankees are going to invite you back? I don't know, Michael, I said, but whether they do or not, your letter stands by itself as a wonderful gift. It doesn't have to produce a result to be meaningful. Then I called my dad and told him what one of his grandsons had done. For the next few days, Mike and I were on the phone still buzzing about his letter. I told him about strangers stopping me on the street, mostly men, telling me how they cried when they read it and how lucky I was to have a son like him. The emotions that are tied up in being and having a father may not be expressed. And they may often be denied even. But they are powerful. And they are there. And they are real. And no, no one does not not have them. I don't know if that sentence made any sense, but you know what I was trying to say. And who is equal to such a task? Who, who can carry that load? If your father failed miserably in your eyes, have mercy. Have mercy because it's the only way to be set free. Have mercy because it's the only way to not repeat his mistakes. And have mercy because he didn't want it to be that way. I, I don't know. I, you know, you may go, well, you don't know what my father did. I don't. I, I've known some awful things that some fathers have done. And let me tell you, he didn't want it 
to be that way. And yeah, maybe he should get down on his knees and say, I'm sorry. And maybe he can't do that because maybe he's gone on or maybe he's here, but he just doesn't have it inside of him. And, and probably the greatest disappointment to his life is that he doesn't have it inside of it to be able to do it. If your father was a great father, be thankful. Celebrate that he was a great father and, and, and understand what an advantage of grace you have because it is so easy, it is so easy to focus in on the little things that, that we get wrong or somebody else gets wrong. It's, it's so easy to focus on the big things that, that were gotten wrong and, and in doing so just kind of wash away all the stuff that got done right. All the sacrifices that were made. And whether your father was a terrible father or a wonderful father, understand you got two fathers. You absolutely do. And who has the audacity to call God daddy? I mean, Jesus taught us to pray our Father, and, and, and you've heard me say, I think I even mentioned it last week, you know how aggravated my dad used to get when Wayne would, would, would quote this verse and say, Daddy God, or, or call him Daddy God, and my dad would go, well, he's not Daddy, he's, you know, he's, he's Father, and that's because my dad never had anybody to call Daddy. Doesn't really understand what that connection is. He... And, and Father, you know, is what had that ring of holiness to it. And yes, He is holy. Yes, He is this, the high and mighty God and, and, and complete and perfect in holiness. And no one will see the Lord without holiness. But you know what? It's not your holiness that will get you there. It's only His. The only way anyone can become holy is for Him to claim you. Say, so you are mine. And probably the most primal prayer that can be prayed, the most basic prayer ever uttered is, Daddy, hear me. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, hold me. And that's what he wants to do. What kind of daddy is he? What kind of father is he? Well, he's a... He's a He's the kind of daddy <laughs> who uh, is like a man who had two sons, and some of his, some of his kids run away. Some, some of his kids don't hang around. Some of his kids grab the inheritance and, and run. And he lets them. He lets them. He loves us enough that he wants to give us the opportunity to learn how to love how to love him and how to love others. And the only way that can happen is if he, is, is, is if he lets us. Because if he goes, you, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay right here. You might stay right there, but love cannot be born out of that. And yet, the prodigal is never far from his thoughts. He's always on his mind. He's not, he's not so small, you know, I don't know if we're singing it or not later on, but 
But at the close of the other service, we sang the song, I've made you too small in my eyes. He is not so small that he goes, well, you, you ran away from me. You made your bed, and you go lay in it, and you, you know, I, yeah. No, no. He is so big. He is so big that he's not threatened by us running away. He still loves us. And, he's, and he has no intention of turning a son or a daughter into a slave because often the reason why we don't come back to him is because we feel such shame and we feel such, such regret and we feel for the same reason that a lot of dads never say, I'm sorry. It's because we feel such guilt. And, and, and so if we, often when we do come back to him, it's kind of, with, you know, just, just stick me over here in the corner somewhere. Just, just, let, me, just let me be a, one of your servants. No, that's not what he... he you hire servants. You, you have children. And that's, that's the kind of daddy he is. <laughs> and some of his kids stay, but they only stay out of a sense of duty. Or they only stay out of, out of a, a desire to gain. You know, if I'm the one who's around when he kicks off, I'll probably get most of the inheritance, you know. Or they only stay out of fear because they're too afraid to go anywhere, but with all their heart, they really want to. And he knows that. But he's patient with them. He's long-suffering with them. Even, even, even with all that, even as they're kind of stumbling along, trying to finally get it, he may have to finally say to them, Look, you've been with me, and all I have is yours. You need to understand that. And our... Father, our daddy, likes to party. You need to understand that. Because so often we, we look at, at him as, mm, no, he, he, he likes, you know, he likes to get down, you know. I mean, one of the, one of the nice things about, about uh, the ones that run off is when they come back, you've got an excuse, you know, to, to, to throw down. I feel like throwing up when they leave. You can throw down when they come back. You know, that's clever wordplay there. Uh, <laughs> he does. He does. And 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 you know, so Father's Day, you've got you got two of them. And it's and it's a cause to celebrate. It is a time to celebrate. Even if there's some pain involved. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. <laughs> he gave me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Yeah. I said that the one person we want the approval of the most is our father. And you got two of them. And you may or may not ever get the approval of your earthly father visibly spoken to you. And it may be too late now. But that's okay. Because there's another one, the most important one, and what he really wants to say to you more than anything else is well done. Well done. And that's what we want to hear. Life is short, the time is now. Would you stand with me? This isn't really a come to the altar type of sermon, but 
that's not usually why people come to the altar anyway. They come to the altar because they're living in a fallen world and have need to come. So for those who are going to pray with people, if they, if they go ahead and come forward at this time, and we're going to open up the altar if you need prayer. Yeah. You, you've got a Father who can do anything. If you need prayer, physical healing, relationships maybe that need to be mended, clarity about something. If you need to come home to Daddy, <laughs> I, remember, I remember doing that. Boy, boy, I remember when I was 25, I, I remember the, 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 probably the few days right before that were the most miserable days of my entire life. Thinking, oh, ooh, 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 I gotta do this. And then when I finally did it, that was, you know, I, I would say it's the most wonderful day of my life. I, you know, getting married was pretty good. Having kids was, was, was pretty good. At least if you're the husband, it's, it's, it's I understand, a lot more fun. But, uh, but that was, that's up there. So if you need to come home, this would be a good time to come as well. The rest of us are going to sing for a few moments, worship the Lord for a few moments, create an atmosphere, the Holy Spirit to work. I have made you too small in my eyes. Oh Lord, forgive me. I have believed in a lie. Since you were unable 
some of you may still be wondering, why'd you read that book? Uh, I, I, I really don't know because it would be different for different people. The Holy Spirit, I, I, in my mind, it was kind of to say, hey, dads probably feel things a lot deeper than you think they do. Yeah. Uh, it may also be for someone to hear, hey, your kids feel things a little deeper than you think they do. It, it may be... Maybe that some phone calls need to be made this afternoon. And it, and it may be, you know, you go, well, my dad's, you know, he's not with us anymore. Well, maybe some letters need to be written. It's not going to be mailed. They just need to be written. Just whatever. Let, let the Holy Spirit take this wherever he needs to take it. And let healing happen. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ <clears throat> who sent his son into the world so that we might become his children children born not of a natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will but born of God and who sent his Holy Spirit into the world into our hearts so that we might cry out Abba Father may he draw you near may you walk closely to him may you find his favor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.